This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Sunday, December 18th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. You can't just undo regulations with the stroke of a pen, despite what President-elect Donald Trump argues. So what can he do following the midnight regulating period we are now in? Susan Dudley directs the George Washington University Regulatory Studies Center and is a former head of the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. We spoke earlier this month. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump talked a lot about specific regulations, um, or I should say laws that enable a whole host of regulations, Obamacare, um, Dodd-Frank, among others. Uh, But what has he said uh, about regulatory policy that you found compelling? He did. He talked about specific regulations, um, the ones you mentioned, but also energy and environmental regulations. Um, And he he promised to make very big cuts in regulation. I think a quote is very, very big cuts in regulations. Um, And sometimes he used a, he'd give a number like 80% or 90% of regulations he would do away with if elected. There is sort of a natural time limit, it seems, on undoing actions of a previous president, especially when they come in the form of uh, regulatory policy rules that are issued by executive agencies. Um, so is, is that a likely scenario, this 80 percent, 90 percent? Because, of course, the Federal Register expands by thousands of pages a day. Yes. It's, um, it's not you can't just do undo regulations with a stroke of a pen, unlike an executive order. So there are executive orders that he can, um, on day one, he could just repeal them. Um, regulations take more time. There are actually several different ways depending on when the regulation was issued. So we are in what is known as the midnight regulatory period right now, where expect the agencies to be issuing, issuing um, a lot of regulations between now and January 20th. Those regulations that are issued really at the very end, so midnight hour, as opposed to just general midnight, um, if they have not yet been published in the Federal Register, and there may be a backup, there's often a backup in the Federal Register because it just can't publish everything all at the same time, the next president um, will, on January 20th, the chief of staff will send a memo to all the agencies that says, stop the presses. Anything that you have headed to the register, pull it back. Um, that Each of the last three presidents have done that. So that's a typical standard thing on the first day is just to stop things until the new team can get in and evaluate them. And the midnight regulating is also a standard operating procedure. It is a standard, procedure. yes, yes. Regardless of party, um, we have seen midnight regulations for at least the last 40 years. Um, that, and you see a statistically significant uptick in regulatory activity. So those that are truly on the wire um, can just be pulled back if they're not yet published. You have said that this two-in-one-out rule, uh, how, do you, how do you interpret what that means? President-elect Trump most recently said that for every, he's going to have a new policy that for every one new regulation, agencies have to remove two. Um, he hasn't provided any specifics on that. I suspect he is not going to implement it with an actual one rule, 
one rule in, two rules out. If you do that, there are a lot of very small rules with no impact. In fact, we write regulations for things like um, what air, airline slots for landing or drawbridge openings and closing. So I suspect that he'll make it more of a cost-based um, offset. And there are other countries that have done that. It seems like a difficult thing to do, but the United Kingdom started with a one-in, one-out, then they went to one-in, two-out, and now they have one-in, three-out. Okay. So I, I, miss, I misspoke earlier. One-in, two-out uh, being the his sort of simplified thumbnail sketch of how he would like, regula- like regulatory policy to function. Uh, stop me or correct me if I describe this incorrectly, but the idea would be if you take a cost-based approach, what you are doing is essentially saying uh, a, a rule that has a regulatory impact of $500 million is going to be put on the books. That same agency would have to uh, cobble together rules that would have a $500 uh, negative impact on the economy and get rid of those. That's right. If he's adding, a, I forget what you said, $500 million impact, he'd have to find, or the agencies would have to find $10 million or twice that amount. I see. Right, right. For so the offset. You argue that the so called uh, CRA, the Congressional Review Act, which uh, I guess is an attempt to try to reassert Congress's role in regulating, which is sort of a sad state of affairs, I suppose. But if uh, you argue that this would help, uh, I guess, empower Congress to uh, assert some control over regulation. Yes, the Congressional Review Act was passed in 1996. And what it does is it says within that within 60 legislative or session days, which actually ends up being six months or more, because it does it counts only time when they're in session as opposed to working in their home districts, et cetera. Um, within that window, after a final regulation is published, um, both chambers of Congress using simple um, streamlined procedures, so in Senate, a, a simple majority, can pass a resolution of disapproval that would overturn the regulation. Now. That has only been used once, and here's why. If, um, if when that resolution of disapproval lands on the desk of the president whose agencies wrote the rule, he will veto it. And in fact, President Obama vetoed five um, in the last couple years, five resolutions of disapproval. So there is a, a, a window at the end of an administration or during the transition where for regulations that are issued that didn't have that full 60 days for Congress to evaluate, the next Congress um, it has an opportunity to evaluate them, and the clock starts all over again. So that means the next Congress will be able to review regulations issued. Um, the Congressional Review, uh, Research Service suggests probably since the end of May, but it might even be earlier. Regula- regulations issued since then the new Congress will have a chance to review them. When they send that resolution of disapproval, it will fall on President Trump's desk, and he will likely sign it. Okay, so uh, this is, you say, a window for uh, Congress that is still Republican, uh, though uh, narrowly so, to say uh, for a whole host of regulations going back many months into the uh, previous Obama administration, 
to say we're going to clear the decks of, you know, pick and choose the ones that they want to get rid of. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So the RAINS Act is one piece of policy that some people have proposed. Uh, Jonathan Adler wrote about the RAINS Act in Regulation Magazine here at Cato. I'll commend our listeners to, to read that. And he did not seem uh, very high on that idea. So what do you think? Well, the RAINS Act is similar to this Congressional Review Act, except the default is switched. So under the CRA, a regulation is assumed to go into effect or unless Congress votes to disapprove it. The RAINS Act flips, would, would flip that, and it has not passed. It, it passed the House last year, but it has, has not, is not law. It would flip that so that a regulation will not, cannot go into effect unless Congress votes to approve it. So it's, that would be a dramatic change. Um, what, and I think Jonathan's article, although I haven't read it recently, made this point. One of the, the advantage of that is it does make Congress more accountable for regulations. Right now, Congress is able to pass sweeping laws delegating authority to regulatory agencies, usually with very nice-sounding names, like um, the Affordable Care Act or the Clean Air Act. So they get credit with their constituents when they issue, when they pass the law. Then when they delegate to the agencies the responsibility for actually implementing it through regulations, and then when their constituents don't like those regulations, then they can get credit again for pointing fingers at the agency and saying it's those bureaucrats that are have run amok. Those hand-wringing and, oh, well, those executive agencies, I, well, I'm going to stop them. That Which sort they of don't thing. do, but they hold hearings and so they can show that they're... So one of the advantages, I think, of the RAINS Act and the CRA is that it does make Congress accountable for laws in a way that they haven't been... The, with the delegation of legislative authority to executive branch agencies. What do you expect uh, if you have some expectations about uh, a Trump presidency with respect to regulation? Uh, I guess tell me, what are your hopes and what do you expect based on what you've heard and some of the people being considered for uh, various posts? Well, um, it's unclear. So I, I think it's going to be a very interesting time to be a regulatory nerd, which is what I am. Um, we'll have new data, um, new observations. I, I expect that the Congressional Review Act will be used. It has only been used once before, and that was at the end of the or at the beginning of the George W. Bush administration to disapprove a rule written at the end of the Clinton administration. Um, and I think we're so I think that the stars are aligned um, for more resolutions of disapproval. Probably not a lot, because even though the procedures are streamlined, it's, it still takes time and Congress is going to have a lot of other things to do, like confirming appointees, et cetera. But, you know, between half a dozen and 10 regulations could be disapproved. As a rhetorical matter, when somebody says they want to reduce regulation, that'll, that sort of gets my hackles up a little bit because it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, that is, if you say you're going to get rid of a specific regulation, well, that, that regulation might have replaced something that actually regulated more. And so getting rid of something doesn't necessarily mean that you are reducing regulation in some uh, concrete way. I think that's right. I think a lot of people's concerns with regulation, and there are specific regulations that 
regulated parties and consumers are concerned about. But in part, it's the accumulation of regulations um, that make it hard to for people to succeed, to, to get good jobs and to um, have opportunities on those jobs, to innovate and create new products. So I think it is that accumulation. And so while the, the two-for-one proposal, I think, is going to be complicated to implement, I think there are a lot of implementation issues that need to be resolved. And we in the George Washington University Regulatory Studies Center are trying to roll up our sleeves and think about how that would work. But I think it has an advantage of it forces regulatory agencies to look at the regulations that are in place and see if they're actually achieving the desired goals. Are they working or not? From what you got, you guys have studied, uh, looking at what this uh, one in, two out rule would do, have you learned anything specific that you can point to right now? I don't think there are any specific proposals from the Trump team yet. Um, I think that, like I mentioned, the other countries have some experience, and I think we can learn a lot from them. It is going to be challenging because the, the real costs of regulation are not easy to measure. So it's not just the paperwork costs of complying, and it's not just even the compliance costs of buying new equipment, et cetera. There are real opportunity costs that are hard to measure. And we have to be careful, or the new administration would have to be careful, of how they define what they mean for the ins and the outs in order not to just kind of push regulations in a different direction with unintended consequences. When uh, a regulation is being considered and the estimate comes back that this will have some dollar value impact on the economy that triggers, that can trigger a cost-benefit analysis. What is wrong with how government agencies conduct cost-benefit analyses? I, there are, I've seen some that indicate, oh, well, there aren't any costs. It's all benefits. And that, that seems to be in many cases on its face, just ridiculous. And yet that is the analysis that agencies have put forward. Well, and I think that you highlight one of the problems with agencies' regulatory analyses is it is the agencies themselves that are doing the analysis, and their incentive is to support their regulation. Um, these analyses are often done after a decision about how they want to proceed has been made to justify that decision rather than to actually explore different alternatives. So I think that's <clears throat> part of the problem. Um, and the other, and related to that is your point that we often will see just benefits. And that just seems um, impossible on its face, that regulatory agencies can constrain your behavior um, and make you better off without imposing any costs. We see that a lot in, um, for example, appliance efficiency standards. They are regularly shown to have negative costs as well as environmental benefits, so that for, for you when you buy your new air conditioner, um, you have a lot of choices out there on the market. The one that you thought you wanted to choose, they will now ban, and so that only more efficient air conditioners, but the analysis suggests that you are better off as a result by your own measures. Right. So the limiting your choices uh, somehow is a negative cost, which is which, of course, is right. uh, I mean, yes. hard to hard to calculate. And plus, uh, in terms of measuring the impact of regulation, the consumer, the average consumer, the average person, 
agent walking around in the world doing his thing is unable to observe uh, the impacts because, as you say, some of those choices just aren't there. That's right. I mean, yeah, people often refer to regulation as a hidden tax. So um, it, it does increase the cost of goods and services. It, um, it reduces your opportunities and employment, et cetera, and yet we don't know it. People don't know that. When, when we look at regulations, and there are, you know, regulations have you know, have provided benefits, and we have a tendency to think only of those benefits and assume that um, in a competitive marketplace with people making informed choices, we would never have re- achieved those, same, those benefits, which I think is something probably Cato listeners would be skeptical of. And, and the other thing is that there is no proper way, really, to account for human enjoyment as a benefit, or in the case of a regulation, a cost. Well, that's right. So benefit-cost analysis, and I often say it's it's the worst of all possible tools for policy analysis, except for all the alternatives, paraphrasing Winston Churchill. Um, but it is necessarily um, a one-size-fits-all, so it, it's unable to look at different people's values for different things. Um, and it's also static. So it's not, it doesn't recognize what kinds of changes and opportunities are you reducing by taking this path rather than another one. This uh, reanimation of the uh, Congressional Review Act uh, in the form of a one-in, two-out rule, uh, I guess what are the possibilities for that really causing a reevaluation of the, of the stuff that's on the books in terms of we passed this, we said that it was going to cost this and benefit us this way. What about uh, looking back and saying, well, how did our analysis actually perform? Before we started recording, you said that that kind of backward-looking analysis just doesn't happen. Let's separate the Congressional Review Act from okay. the two-for-one, because that, I think, is a one-shot to, to um, not allow most recently published regulations to go into effect. So they haven't had an effect yet. The two-for-one would be something that the president could do without working with Congress. So that would be something that he has proposed he would. I think one of the advantages of that is that it does force agencies to look at regulations. Michael Mandel of the Progressive Policy Institute likens regulations to pebbles tossed in a stream. That each one, if you do a benefit-cost analysis in advance, might look like it passes that net benefits test. But when they accumulate, it can end up blocking the flow of the stream or blocking economic growth and innovation. So, But we never go back and look to see what the effect of those regulations really was. We predict it like a hypothesis, but we never go back and test that hypothesis. And I think forcing agencies to find regulations to remove forces them to do some of that retrospective evaluation that the incentives have not been there for agencies to do. So it puts a lot of uh, regulation that is, in many people's minds, settled. It puts it on the table in a way that it hasn't been. Yes, and there, there are disadvantages of that, of course. And what, you know, For companies, once you've invested, especially if you've invested, if it's, there are capital investments involved, the last thing you want is for the government to say, oh, never mind, so that your competitors can get involved. Or if you've established a procedure in the workplace, it may be harder to undo it than, rather than just to leave it alone. So there may be cases where the retrospective review and removal 
doesn't really do anything. However, I still think it's valuable because it will teach us where we were wrong in our ex-ante analysis. I think it'll make our ex-ante analysis better if we're forced to look back and see whether we were right or not. Well, I'm thinking of it from a public choice perspective, just by virtue of the fact that a regulation is on the table in a way that it hasn't been in a while, might spur a lot of industry groups to say, oh, no, we got to keep that one. And that, well, of course, will make a lot of free marketeers sort of scratch their chins and say, well, why is it that you want to keep that one? What competition are you actually afraid of? Um, Brian Mannix tells a story, and I'm not going to get it quite right, but it was about a Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, regulation that um, something like about swimming pools or slides, I think, in swimming pools. And when the agency, the commission proposed it, um, there was one company in particular that was adamantly against it and argued against it, but it went in place anyway. And then about five or 10 years later, the commission evaluated it and said, you know what, we really didn't need this. It, did, it wasn't worth doing. And then when they went to repeal it, there was only one commenter opposing repeal, and that was the same company, because what it had done is it had gotten rid of all its competitors, and it was the only only guy left in town. So it's exactly the public choice, what you would expect from public choice. Susan Dudley directs the George Washington University Regulatory Studies Center. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.